When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Costas is here on A's Cast Live. To the A's legendary players. Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. We used to come out here to lunch and run with our shirts off. (laughs) (laughs) You would say. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered, and here we're going to have all of Jessica Kleinschmidt's interviews that she's been doing for A's Cast. We'll start with Kevin Smith of the Oakland Athletics, Xavier Scruggs from MLB Network and ESPN, our buddy Mike Farron from Sirius XM MLB Channel, Ryan Spader, MLB analyst, great follow on Twitter, and Danny Wexelman, also from MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. But we'll start with the third baseman for the Athletics, Kevin Smith. A's total access continues. Jessica Kleinschmidt here with A's infielder Kevin Smith. Kevin, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. So before we get started, I, I'm really excited to ask you about as far as your transition from shortstop to third, predominantly through the minors and at Maryland, you were a shortstop. What's the transition been like going from that position to moving a little bit more further in at the hot corner? Yeah, I mean, it's been fun. It's definitely different. Just, you know, how balls come at you, how you have to attack balls, your footwork. So it's been fun to get out here, you know, before games with E and work on it. I've worked on it for about a year or two in the minors. Just just knowing when you get to the big league level, you may play a different position. So um, transitioning over there more full time has been uh, it's been fun. And we're uh, we're getting close to where we want to be. As far as the what you're working on, what were some of the main things that you or those objectives that you need to work on during that transition? Yeah, I mean, mainly footwork and kind of how you get ready to see the ball. Um, at short, you have a little more time and you get to cover a little more range. So you're more upright and you want to be able to move a little better at third. It's kind of gets on you a little quicker. So just being you know more low with your pre-pitch and how you attack balls and, and how you kind of read them off the bat. Um, our little difference to getting on you quicker and kind of how you set, set yourself up for the throw. What was the biggest surprise during the transition? Probably just how much the ball moves at third. At short, you know, it's more straight on, so the balls don't move left and right as much. Um, at third, they usually have a lot of curved guys here. They're way out front hooking it, uh, or lefties the opposite way of flaring it. So um, seeing how much the ball moves at third compared to short was definitely a surprise. What about the reaction time? Because I feel like sometimes you don't have time to think when you're at third. Yeah, sometimes that can help you. Sometimes they can hurt you. Uh, just depending on where you're playing the ball. Um, it is a lot different just with how many choppers you get and then, like you said, how many hot rockets you get where you don't really have time to think. So all those different things make it a little more fun, um, a little more unpredictable than at short. Um, but we're getting there. It's, it's been fun to kind of adjust to that and, and kind of you know learn what you have to do to be ready for both of them. Third's a difficult position, period. But you have all of this foul territory. And I feel like pitchers that can either help or hurt them. When you saw it, did you hear about the foul territory before you got over here? Yeah, I mean, I knew about it just from watching highlights in the past and, and watching plays that were made here. Um, but, you know, when you get out here and you see how much there actually is, it definitely is a surprise. But you're trying to use it to your advantage as much as you can. Uh, obviously, with day games, you know, when you're running over there, the sun's right above you. So... Those plays are hard, but definitely nighttime and stuff. You want to make sure that's an advantage for your pitchers. Tell me about the sun, because I've talked to some of the guys, and it feels like it shines a little bit brighter here sometimes. 
yeah, it's just it's always a high sky with, with no clouds. So the, the sun's right there, and then obviously during day games, um, it's right up right up above home plate. So we're always talking in the infield on, on who can help who and who's not seen it well, who can see it a little better. Uh, but it makes it a challenge for sure. You have a lot of career milestones that you've been able to possess with the A's. Uh, Grand Slam, and I think you had your first career double too. Do you have a specific spot in your house that you're putting all these baseballs? <laughs> no, I just moved to Nashville. I don't have anything there of mine. So um, I have the baseball and the, the bat for my Grand Slam um, and everything else at my da- my parents' house back in New York. So uh, one of these days I'll have to get everything moved to Nashville, but for now it's just staying with mom and dad back in New York. Are you a big sentimental guy with some of these things? I'm not. I think it'll be cool. I think it'll be cool later on to have them. Um, but right now, it, it doesn't really, you know, phase me. My mom and my dad want want them more than me, so they keep track of them for me, and I send them home. Um, and they remind me of what to get. Um, so I think right now it's more fun for them. But I'm sure, you know, later on, I'll be I'll be thankful that they they cared about it so much. It's definitely a mom and dad vibe, and I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. You know, you're one of these younger guys that are getting these opportunities, and I think it's really cool, especially with this organization. How are you personally making sure that you utilize your opportunity, and whether it's advance your game or just fine-tune something that you're working on? Yeah, I think it's a it's a fine line of just going out and competing and then also working on stuff, you know. So especially when you just get up here, there's so much, so many new things that you have to get used to, the coaching staff being traded over here. So so many new things going on. You got used to the team, used to how, how things are run at the big league level, you know, just the speed of the game at the big league level. So it's been great, man. They, they The guys here and then the coaches here have been awesome, just helping me, A, get comfortable, but B, help you, you know, with the speed of the game, make you more comfortable at the big league level. Um, so as, as you get more games and, and more at-bats under your belt, you know, things start to slow down and become more normal. Um, and so I look forward to, to when that happens. You're also, I mean, there's younger guys, but you have like these veteran presence, like the Jed Lowry's of the world. Have you been able to pick their brains a lot and ask them anything that you might as far as the, you're a younger guy? Yeah, I mean, you pretty much just ask them everything and anything that you can. Uh, like a sponge. Yeah, like literally anything that you can ask them or pick their brain about, um, you know, during games, just how they think through stuff or, or what they talk about and how they talk and how they depict things. Um, so that's been great. I mean, like you said, we have a lot of young guys paired with a lot of older guys that have been around the block a few times. So it's it's a great dynamic for us to, to learn and also for them to be there. You know, they've done what we what we're doing hundreds and thousands of times. So to have someone with that experience is, is huge. You're an East Coast guy. I am a little biased. I do love the West Coast. But does the West, like you're living here now part-time, does it come as advertised? Yeah, it's been great. The weather the weather here is as advertised. Everyone was telling me the weather, especially in the summer, is awesome. So I'm from the East Coast, but I always love the West Coast and how much slower it is and, and how much more relaxed and chill it is out here. So um, I'm definitely enjoying my time. It's it's what you expected coming to Cali. Everyone's way, way more laid back and nice, and uh, it's been a fun time so far. Are you, like, eating a lot more in and out than you may be? <laughs> Well, I, I've been in Arizona for a few off-seasons. Uh, my fiance's from Arizona, so I, I had my, you know, 20, 20 in-and-outs in a, in a month when I showed up there, and then uh, I've kind of tried to lay off it since then. But it's definitely one of my go-tos. I haven't been there since I've been back to Cali, but uh, I'm sure that won't last long. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Kevin Smith, good dude. No question about it. Here is Xavier Scruggs from MLB Network and ESPN. The A's host the Angels as A's total access rolls on. Jessica Kleinschmidt here, joined by Xavier Scruggs. X, my friend, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm I'm excited because I get to be on here with you. Haven't we haven't talked in a little bit, at least on air. So it's been uh it's been a little bit. So I'm excited. 
I know I'm very spoiled to have you here. I know we both actually looked up to each other in different ways as far as the media goes. And I wanted to actually ask you about that. Now, of course, you are a former player. And from what I've seen, you've transitioned to media quite well. Give me a couple of anecdotes. Was it kind of, did it come as advertised when you transitioned to the media? Were you surprised as a lot of things when you started getting some of these gigs after you left the game and then turned to the media? Yeah, no, definitely surprised. I mean, I just, it was, I knew it definitely wasn't going to be easy. Um, I think I was very fortunate in the time in which, you know, I, I decided to retire in, in 2020. Um, baseball wasn't really starting at the beginning of the season. And they were, ESPN was showing the KBO baseball games, if you remember the Korean League. Oh, right. And I was like, okay, I played in Korea. Maybe I can jump on for five, 10 minutes and talk about my experiences. And then um, had that opportunity and and tried to ask the producers like, hey, what can I do to kind of get into this media space? Because it, it definitely interests me. And from there on, they, they, they first kind of threw me to the to the side. They were like, hey, jump into your local you know, high school media, go into those athletics or whatever. And then they saw that I was serious about it. And then I think that kind of opened some doors for, for some other opportunities as as I started with ESPN. So um, I think the seriousness in which, you know, people go at it, including yourself, you know, if you're if you're out there kind of showing people that you're willing to commit yourself to a, a, a certain goal or a certain industry, um, those doors start to open up mm-hmm. naturally. So I think that's something that kind of happened with me. And, uh, and a lot of times, you know, this too. A lot of times athletes, after they're done playing, they want to kind of figure out, okay, what's next? For me, I was kind of like, let, like, let's jump right into it. Like, if this doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I, I went all in. So that was kind of the thought process. And fortunately, I got, I, I've had a lot of opportunities. And you mentioned the seriousness, and I want to kind of take a step back. You're on a show called Off Base, which it's not serious at all. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. And the one thing that I've noticed about you is you're able to have a balance of both entertainment and knowledge. Do you think that that was difficult? Because we know watching some of these broadcasts, it's kind of very, you know, just I don't want to say boring, but it's kind of the same thing over and over again. So you kind of come in, you offer something different, a little, a little bit more, you know, I guess, entertainment factor. And I feel like that's super important right now. So how are you able to find the balance of leaving the entertainment factor and then teaching the audience something as well? Yeah, no, I think, you know, a a lot of it stems from watching other people in the industry, you know, especially being an athlete uh, coming out of playing, I was trying to figure out, okay, what, what are people talking about, first of all, and what do people want to know? And trying to figure out a balance of that. And I think that was one of the things where I kind of sit back and watch people like you being able to, you know, go on Twitter, which is a great, uh, great space. But at the same time, you can use that, that, that content in multiple different areas. So started noticing, you know, what people are doing extremely well and then trying to produce that for myself and put that own twist on it. But you, you mentioned it. It's difficult. It's not easy to do. And especially being committed to providing entertainment as well as you know the knowledge because a lot of times you may not feel like providing entertainment right you may you may feel like I just want to provide the knowledge or vice versa I just want to provide entertainment without the numbers right so I think trying to find that that common ground 
uh, was more so researching what people liked and then trying to figure out, okay, how do I put that into my own words? And then also looking at other sports, like other sports do such a great job of kind of providing the information in a fresh and novel way. I wanted to bring that to baseball as well. So, and I think a lot of times who better than to do that than somebody that played, mm -hmm. um, but also do it in a refreshing manner. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I, Feel like you were able to kind of grasp that right out the gate. Like I said, I, I witnessed it from a certain perspective. We all know how the behind the scenes stuff goes. Um, one man, Mr. Tony Kemp, I am very biased with my affinity for him and his family. <laughs> but the thing that I love about you and him, and it's something that you guys are so similar in, is I have to remind myself you are indeed baseball players. And I've told him that before, and he actually likes that. He's like, I, I'm a baseball player, maybe second, third after being a good man, a good husband, a good, a good a good dad, of course, now. So before we get into the Tony Kemp, the, like how he is as a player, tell me about Kemp, the person from what, what you've witnessed. Yeah, man. I mean, you're talking about somebody that's first and foremost, I think of the person kind of mm -hmm. like you mentioned, right? It just the high class, the, the somebody that's going to go out of his way to make sure somebody else feels good. Um, somebody that everybody gravitates toward and wants to be around. He's always smiling. Mm -hmm. um, but but also like he's a super intelligent person. A lot yeah. of people don't really understand that just from kind of watching from from TV. Right. You see like an amazing athlete. But at the same time, he's a super intelligent person. Um, a, a Vanderbilt alum, you know, somebody that really took school seriously. And to see, you know, the education side, but then also that baseball side. And you mentioned that family side, all those things play out. You, the one thing that sticks out to me is an authentic person, right? Yes. Just somebody that's for real. You know, you're what you're going to get, no matter if he's balling, if, if he's playing yeah. really well or he's not playing well, you're going to get the same person every time. And I think that's what I enjoy most about TK. I think authenticity in a person is the top characteristic you could actually have because they're authentic then you're authentic he makes my job fun and <laughs> easy he makes it so easy and because when you talk to Tony you're like I can talk to anybody right like right. he just makes you comfortable he made the clubhouse really comfortable for me when I first started out so I'm very thankful for that now did you see you must have seen that catch he made the other oh. day probably the A's <laughs> catch of the year now this man got higher up he's shorter in stat stature we don't have to lie to ourselves about that you're like, look at your reaction. What was that like seeing that catch? That was absolutely amazing. Like I had to keep going back and watching it because my man almost got about vertical in the yeah. air. And I was like, how did he do that? Because you don't see catches like that. And I, and I heard somebody, I want to say it was somebody on MLB network or something saying like, is that the catch of the year? And they were arguing against it because it wasn't a catch that is up against the wall, taking away a home run. Right. So, but I was like, for there to be a catch like that, that can combat being a catch of a year already, that just tells you how special the catch was. Yeah. But And that also just shows you how athletic he is. Somebody that can do both outfield and infield the way that he does is extremely special in our game. And tell me about his, he's got some sneaky power too. Like the balls can go over the fence. I mean, it's kind of weird to watch this season, but he can hit too. Yes, I, I think that's another thing when he gets and he'll surprise you every now and then. But when he gets to a, a pitch down and in and somebody makes a mistake, he knows how to make somebody pay. And I think a lot of times we look at, you know, smaller guys and say, OK, you know, they're more punch and Judy might go the other way. But 
those are the ones that can hurt you most a lot of the times because you might have runners on first and second and you're thinking, okay, just get this guy to give me some weak contact. You make that mistake and bam, he'll hurt you with the three run homer or something in the gap. So I think he does a great job of that. And then also like not necessarily just the power, but if he gaps something like the speed that he has, he can get Mm -hmm. to third easily. So either way, he's going to hurt you. I really like the way that he had some head or heads up base running and he was in the middle of a pickle running from third to home, oh. paying attention to the guy on first yes. Pinder Bollinger boys. Of course, they're going to, they're going <laughs> to have each other's back and you watched Pinder run to second. So Tony knew he was getting out, but Pinder's like, you better take my spot over here. Cause I'm about to yeah. sacrifice myself. So just goes to show he's a beautiful teammate as well. Yes. X, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem at all. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Uh, For Xavier Scruggs, this is Jessica Kleinschmidt. Sit tight as A's total access continues. And now our old friend, Mike Farron, breaking down some uh, college, some minor league, and of course, some MLB with Jessica. Coming up, the A's will host the Twins today. But before that, Jessica Kleinschmidt here as A's total access rolls on. Joined by LB Network Radio on Sirius XM host Mike Farron. Farron, my friend, how are you today? I'm great, Jessica. How are you? I'm good. A little jealous. You're you're having a little bit warmer weather there. Should I actually be jealous or am I doing okay out here in the bed? Yeah, no, I think you probably do all right. I mean, your warm warm weather uh, is probably on the way, but it's what, uh, we hit 104 this weekend in Phoenix. I think it was 106 yesterday. So we're getting to our first of two summers here. So yeah. the, this is the one that's really hot and dry. So we'll get some 120s probably in the next month and then it'll cool off a little bit where our highs will only be like 104, 105. It won't be too bad. Yeah, that's nothing you can't handle um but and you mentioned Ari- you know you're in Arizona and it's interesting because during some of these winter months the Arizona Fall League takes place and for me it's just a cool like to break it up break up the monotony of the off season but when I hear the AFL and I'm I'm a casual baseball fan what's so impressive about the Arizona Fall League and why is it imperative to an organization yeah, I mean, so I've been involved with the AFL doing games for almost 10 years now, and it's about the most fun that you can have because it's so like from a, from a team standpoint, it's really important because you're getting either last looks at guys before they go on the 40 man roster or you're getting looks at them against what is pretty high end competition. Um, and which, which usually at the equivalency of about double a and, and for some players, it's like, you're either getting at bats, you're getting innings because you've had injuries over the course of the year. It tends to be a hitter friendly league because, because it's Arizona Mm -hmm. and each team, each team in the fall league has five different major league clubs that are are associated with it. So, you know, in the A's case, they play in Mesa, obviously just makes sense that they they play at the Cubs complex as their home, home team, but that it's close to, um, Okay, they don't change ever. Yeah. <laughs> Always it, uh, and that one. And so you have seven players from each organization that comes in and represents the team, um, and it's just a really great finishing school for prospects to to get experience. And more than that, the fall league is a pretty important finishing school for a lot of different. Um, 
you know, people in baseball, umpires cannot be filling major league umpires until they've completed at least one circuit in the fall league. Um, they have a number of young people that come in through uh, their internship programs to be uh, baseball operations directors at each of those sites. And then they, uh, many of them end up going on to work for teams or go to work for MLB. So the entire league is really a developmental league from the bottom up. And um, it's pretty cool. And, and if you're a fan who's, you know, maybe a little bit older than I am, so you're, you're closer to 50, um, you may remember that spring training used to be a really great laid back time to get autographs and it was pretty cheap. And the fall league harkens back to that too, mm-hmm. which makes it a great time to come out and visit. The weather's great. And you can, you know, actually see players and talk to them and, um, you know, get your choice of good seats at whichever of the ballparks you want. I like the, one of my favorite sayings is I remember him when, and it's always kind of like that. And like I said, you really never know who you're going to see. We've been very spoiled watching some of the big names who weren't big names quite yet, just from a fan perspective. So I think it's great. I actually did finally officially meet you IRL at spring training, right? When I walked in, you were talking to Sean Murphy, you and Jim Duquette, who I absolutely love. Um, And despite watching we're trying to get Sean Murphy to be a little bit more open in some of his interviews and he's getting there he's getting there but just watching him from like a a perspective and he's one of the best uh, game planners in the game and I forget how young he actually is what have you liked and what have you seen about him over the last couple of years and what's impressed you about him I, I mean I think he's when you factor in the position right when you factor in that that offense tends to be at a little bit more of a premium in the catcher position he's one of the best two-way catchers in baseball mm-hmm. um, I think you know in terms of, of some of the advanced metrics there's only a handful of regulars who have been better than him offensively this year and I realized that, that the batting average so the on base percentage slugging percentage look low but we're in a low offensive environment and um you know when you compare it to you know really only Wilson Contreras is ahead of him on most of those lists for regular catchers I think Dalton Varsho is too but Varsho plays more center field or at least has played more center field this year than he has caught so um you know it's I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate about him is that that you know he's been a very good offensive performer for the most part he's hit for power um but while he can provide some pop for you, hits his defensive reputation that really gets most of the attention and should get most of the discussion. To your point, he's an excellent game planner. I mean, I think that's his reputation is, is um, that he has a a good idea of how to put down the right fingers at the right time. Um, He's a really strong receiver. He's got a very good arm. And I think that despite the fact that he's probably a little bit more quiet with us, there is a confidence and and some leadership qualities to him that despite the fact that, you know, because of injuries and whatnot, he really, doesn't have all that many, um, you know, plate appearances in, in professional baseball, let alone at the big league level. I mean, he has under 800 in the big leagues, but um, you know, he's a guy that, that I think commands respect because of the way he goes about it. He's one of, uh, I think one of the best catchers in the league. Um, I'm really excited for the future. And I think, you know, the numbers are down a little bit this year, this year to start, but I think by the end of the season, you're talking about a guy who's maybe not going to wow you with the batting average, but is going to get on base just enough and hit enough home runs that he is a more than productive hitter for the position. Yeah. And you mentioned that confidence, which I think that's really something to concentrate on because he's been able to help that when it comes to those pitchers. So he's had the shamanias of the world, the use narrow petites, but then also all these young guys that the A's are getting. And it's kind of cool to see him balance out. And every pitcher I've ever talked to says, the moment I see Sean Murphy, it's going to be a good day. And he developed, he has that confidence and that the great chemistry, which I know is very important in those relationships. 
Um, now you've been able to do, you've, you've covered pro ball and we've, we've discussed that, but you've also covered college ball. And yeah. something that I'm super curious about is just from what you've seen from these players, what is their mindset? Do you think from your lens, that is the difference between a guy in college who may or may not have MLB dreams compared to covering pro ball? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of differences. I mean, I think, you know, first and foremost in college, I mean, you're dealing with college students, right? So, I mean, so baseball is probably their secondary function theoretically behind going to school, right? So well, let me quote yeah, that. Well, sure. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm sure the number one is going to class. Yes. Um, and while the development process in college continues to improve, and in fact, a lot of what pro ball has done in the last decade has been stolen right from the college ranks. Um, there's not the same amount of time that you're allowed to afford yourself. There are limits on you know how much you can work on your own, and there are limits to how much practice time you can have too um, that the NCAA regulates. So it's more like it's closer to high school ball in that sense, in that while you're at a high level of competition, you're playing, you know, during the regular season, 56 games over the course of the year, um, you're, you're a little bit limited in what you can do. Whereas in pro ball, I mean, it becomes your career. So it's your focus, right? So it's baseball every day. It's, you know, you're, you're at the ballpark for nine to 12 hours, depending on how much you're working or what you're working on. Um, and you're really trying to refine that. And as you go up the ladder, the talent level changes, right? So you, you have what 200 some odd division one college programs right now. Well, not all of those players are going to make it into pro ball. So the ones that do are kind of the cream of that crop. And then as you move your way up through the levels, especially when you go from a ball to double a, you're basically having the number of players that exist at the two full season, a levels to double a. And then there's another huge jump. And in fact, a bigger one from triple a to the big leagues. And in mm -hmm. fact, that jump has even been, been bigger now, I think than it has been at any other point in time. So it's to me, it's about refinement more than anything is one of the big differences, but there are some advantages. I think that the college game has, uh, there is a far more, there are far more variability in the styles of play. Um, I think that that's one of the things that's exciting. There's a different energy to it and there's a difference in importance. It's closer to like the 2020 season in major league baseball, where every game matters. I mean, when you're only playing 14 weeks and playing four games a week, you know, all of a sudden that's a third of what a major league season is. And yeah. so the, the emphasis and the intensity for each one of those games, especially when you're in conference play is pretty important if you want to have a chance to play for a college world series. So um, I think those are some of the biggest differences I, I would say between the two, but I love college baseball. I absolutely yeah. love college ball. I've, I've noticed like, it's just, it, they're really leaning into social media a lot more. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's important. It's more fun. I of course host a show with Eric Burns. He's the director of chaos, not the manager, Farron, the director of chaos, director of chaos yeah. for the Savannah bananas. And I feel like it's, it's definitely an extension of that. And I, it's funny that you mentioned like school. Cause I couldn't imagine interviewing a kid. I've never really covered college ball and seeing him be like, can we cut this short? Like I have a test to go take. Right. Like, oh, right, right, right. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and I recently went to a Nevada Wolfpack a baseball mm -hmm. game and I forgot about chattering totally forgot about chattering. And then the aluminum bat, just like, I, it's so difficult to kind of adjust to that. And, and that's, those are some of the things that I was used to or not used to, even though I'm a former ball player myself, but it's just, it's so it, there's a lot going on in college baseball. And I, yeah. I often forget. 
You know, I, and I, I like what you said too about you know, the embrace of social media. I mean, I think there's a little bit more room to be creative uh, with it because there's less of a corporate structure. And then obviously, you know, when you're talking about something like the Savannah Bananas, I mean, that's a college summer ball team that has like, I, I mean, I think everybody should be watching what they're doing, right? They're trying to, whether it's the, you know, for their, their barnstorming team, kind of the, the crazy rule changes that they've made, or just the energy and the excitement that they're using to fill that ballpark. I mean, I think those are things that we all could certainly learn from and that we could, we could embrace some of, but um, you know, it is, yeah, there's a lot more chattering. There's a lot more, um, you know, the things that you remember that were fun when you were playing you know, ball growing yeah. up, like those things still exist in college because you're talking about 18 to well generally it's been like 18 to 22 year old kids i mean with covid now we've got like some 25 year olds there which it <laughs> seems like i mean i wish i could They're have all bigger than until me, I was 25. they all look the <laughs> exact same age to me whether i'm walking into like a college baseball clubhouse or an nmlb clubhouse they're all the same age in my eyes but and it's interesting you mentioned the social media. Is there something else you feel like MLB should adopt from college ball, to, whether it's the entertainment factor or maybe the media coverage that you, when you're covering a college game, you're like, man, I wish they did this in MLB. Well, I wish there was more college baseball coverage. So I think, I mean, okay. I think that there should be, it would be better to, to borrow something from MLB in that regard, in that, you know, I don't think that it's covered as well as it, it could be, or it deserves to be, but that's not alone on that. Now, I mean, the fastest growing college sports are softball and volleyball in part because they're tremendous television sports and there's a lot of excitement for that. And so like when you see the women's college world series ratings, dwarfing the men's college world series ratings, I think it gets your attention. Right. And it's, you start, and I know the league has looked at, okay, what are they doing well in the NCAA for softball that we can learn from? I know that's something that they've um, tried to focus on. So I think there, there's some of that that can be taken. I mean, I think, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, I think, I think embracing creativity is really important. And I think access is really important, mm -hmm. right? So how do you use your access? I mean, you, you know, you're, you're in a, a great role in that you can take the access you have to players, coaches, whatnot, yeah. and share that via social media, right? And so you're getting that in front of as many people as you can, whether it's on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter or wherever it is, you know, that's getting in the hands of a lot of people and college teams do a pretty good job of that. Um, I think it just needs to feel a little bit more relaxed. I think that would be the the biggest thing I would say to the league is that it 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 just feels like there are these parameters that are put in place that limit how much exposure you can actually get for the sport. Whereas, I mean, basically life is you know, 20 second clips at this point. Right. Yes. So how do we take advantage of that in an effort to try and grow, especially when we have so many exciting young players that are part of this league? I agree. Yeah. Um, now, before I let you go, prospect lists, I wanted to ask you yes. about that. Um, and it's actually Sean Murphy gave me like this, this money quote a few seasons back. He was, of course, one of our top prospects forever. And I said, what are your thoughts on prospect lists? And he said some derivative of the people who make those lists do not write those lineups. And that was the first quote Sean Murphy ever gave me. So naturally I'm like, cool. Like I hope I'm probably getting my firstborn after you, but I want to know what are your thoughts on prospect lists? Well, I think they're, I mean, for me, they're extremely instructive because yes. I don't get a chance to get out and see, you know, every minor league player over the course of the season. So I think they're pretty important. 
And I think teams think that they're important as mm -hmm. well, because there are a number of organizations, especially on the amateur side, that are modeling using those publicly available lists. You know, in, in the case of the draft, whether it's Baseball America or it's MLB Pipelines or it's Perfect Games or Prep Baseball Reports, they're using it to help um, you know develop their statistical model of of what they're looking for in, in terms of players or how the players viewed in the industry when they're trying to build out their draft lists. Um, I think they're pretty helpful. He's right. Nobody makes out the, the yes. lineup in that sense. But then again, you know, there are a lot of people inside a baseball organization that don't make out the lineup mm -hmm. um, that are the ones who are evaluating the players. And it, it's helpful because the, for the most part, those lists are getting independent sources from outside an organization to help give an idea of what the industry thinks of those players. Is it foolproof? No. Is it a snapshot in time? Absolutely. Um, is it, you know, can you run into, you know, a, a biases in the list? Yeah, absolutely. Because, it, because so much of it is subjective. So, I mean, there are issues with them. Nothing is perfect. But I do think that they're incredibly important for, especially us as fans, to get an idea of what a team system looks like, who their top players are. And really, you know, from my standpoint, I'm, I'm less interested in how they're ordered and more seeing what their strengths and weaknesses are and then how that matches up with the eyeball test and then the, and the statistical evaluation of them as well. I agree. They definitely helped me in the long run. And uh, I think they'll geek out, geek over them a little bit too, which I think is always fun. Brings yeah. more perspective that we love to geek over young athletes. I guess that's at the end of the day what we do. It's okay <laughs> when you put it in. Well, we're geeks. So yeah, I geeks. mean, that totally works. We are geeks with a microphone and a computer at the end of the day. <laughs> yes, I agree. Mike Farron, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for nerding out with us. <laughs> this is Jessica Kleinschmidt coming up. Vitz Catronio as A's total access continues. Ryan Spader does a great job covering our game. He's also a lot of fun to follow on Twitter. He has all kinds of great nuggets. Here is Ryan Spader with Jessica. A's at Tigers coming up next as A's total access rolls on. But for now, Jessica Kleinschmidt here with Ryan Spader. MLB stat whiz, I don't know, but the, the author of Incredible Baseball Stats, you gave me my own copy, Spader. How are you today? I'm doing great, and I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, I'm I'm kind of a a little bit nervous now. I, I didn't know you had this super professional uh, broadcasting voice now all of a sudden, and I sound like a Philly mush. Do not tell anybody my secret that I actually do not. Actually, they know. They know I don't actually sound like this in in person. <laughs> it's always the intros and the outros, though. I think that's where I sound professional, but we all know the real Jess. Um, but I wanted to have you on for multiple reasons. We've been friends for so many years, but also I've, I've always loved some of these stats that you've come out with, but I guess one of my more simple questions, if it is a simple question, simple answer, what would you define as a good baseball stat? Uh, you know, so I guess there's two sides of the fence with this. I'm going to uh, offend some of the people who think that I'm more analytically inclined by not saying something like wins above replacement. Um, and then by the traditionalists, you know, guys who like things like batting average, things like slugging average. Uh, I also don't think those are that great. Personally, when I look at baseball, first of all, I don't think defense is as important as we think it is. I think defense is something that's largely misunderstood 
by baseball writers, BBWAA, just as the save was in the 80s. That's why we saw guys like Bruce Suter winning the Cy Young Award. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Hernandez, whose first name escapes me, uh, winning the Cy Young Award. Absolutely ridiculous. When the save was just misunderstood. They didn't understand the value of it. And I think oftentimes writers like to be ahead of the curve. Anybody does, really. And um, in that particular case, they really weren't. I don't think it was as valuable as they thought it was. And so here we are. What is a good baseball stat? I, I, I think um, I like offensive statistics. And so for that reason, I go with a, a stat like OPS+. Plus. I really like a stat like OPS+, Plus because it allows us to look across generations and say, Hey, how good is Joey Votto when compared not just against his peers, but also against Babe Ruth, against Ted Williams? Now, does he stack up against his peers just as well as Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Barry Bonds did against their peers? Maybe not quite as well, but he's right there and right there with Hall of Famers. And the OPS Plus definitely shows that. Hey, I like the actual the significance of the stat, but what about the funkiness of some of these? And I know that's not a journalistic term, but you know, I love me some funky stuff. So I feel like that can kind of be brought into what makes a stat unique is the funkiness, right? Yeah, I think, I, I know it's not a journalist term, but I think it's a medical term. Uh, yes. If, okay. Just making sure. Yeah. When yeah, I, when uh, I go to the doctor, they let me know there's something funky going on. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, I, I think that in terms, of, so I was just talking about how the journalists, you know, they were ahead of the curve or thought they were when it comes to uh, relief pitcher stats, the save back in the eighties. And now I compare this to defensive value as I started on prior to going off on a tangent. Um, I, I think that some of these defensive statistics are a little bit funky in that mm -hmm. we can't quite measure defensive value. And my inclination is to think that defense is not quite as valuable as we think it is. Yes, Tony Kemp made a great play in the outfield that most people aren't going to make. But in the end, you'd probably give that up for uh, Barry Bonds as your center fielder if you're going to get that type of offensive production. And I, I tend to think that offense rules all. I love defensive wins above replacement. Yeah. I think it's great. But it's not that uh, reliable over the course of a season. I love defensive runs saved or runs from fielding, if you prefer baseball reference. Mm -hmm. I think that that shows a lot. However, I think if you go throughout history, I know if you go throughout history, there's going to be very few teams that are an upper echelon defense that went on to win a World Series versus teams that were an upper echelon offense that maybe had a mediocre or even subpar defense that went on to win a world series so some of the funky stats I, I really think tend to be the ones that maybe we overvalue a little bit and I think right now that is those fielding statistics and you know I'm a defensive nerd that's not just because I only I couldn't hit the ball I was very much a defensive whiz but what are your thoughts? Because I know you have very passionate thoughts about Hall of Fame. Hopefully we have enough time to tap into those because that could be an interesting conversation. However, what about the eye test? Because I've spoken to Brandon Crawford, who I think is arguably one of the best defensive shortstops in the game, probably one of the top 10 shortstops of the modern era, really defensively. But if I were to talk to him about stats, 
he's told me he will always love the eye test more. So how can you talk about somebody, unless you're like me, who I'm watching Tony Kemp forever, right? And I think he's a phenomenal baseball player, obviously a phenomenal human. But what if some of those stats don't reflect it? And I, as a journalist, want to talk about some of those storylines. Would I just have to say, hey, he'd be in the hall of very good. Oh, goodness. Um, So you mentioned the Hall of Fame, and as you know, I do that annual project where I pull former players. Do not go down the Hall of Fame rabbit hole quite yet, but yes, yes. Yeah, so I I do that annually, right? And I got a very good quote from Mike Schmidt that I had never heard before, and it wasn't his own, but it it came from Joe Morgan, who had had recently passed when Mm -hmm. uh, Schmidt shared this with me, and that was when we were on the field, we knew who the Hall of Famers were. Interesting. And that absolutely resonated with me because I always, uh, just like you, I'm a ball player first. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing this stuff because unfortunately I couldn't hit a curveball. And as soon as the uh, fastballs began going above 85 miles per hour, I sucked. Yeah. So <laughs> here I am. I get to talk about baseball, write about it, bet on it, whatever. I. I tend to side with the players and the players usually, I don't want to say they uh, shy away from statistics because I know a lot of them are using baseball savant. They love these heat maps, visual yeah. visualizations that you're not otherwise getting. Um, I don't want to say they shy away from that, but they certainly count above all else, the eye test. And, and I think it really does matter. I think you often have to, um, stand on the fence of analytics and the eye test and also factor in your gut. I think yeah. that's something that Gabe Kapler has done a fantastic job with the uh, San Francisco Giants. And for him, it was a learning curve because he did not do that with the Phillies. He was not good at, hey, you know, we got a lefty uh, in there to face three lefties in a row, and then we're going to yank him for the righty. Wait a second. He just struck out three dudes on 10 pitches. Maybe we should ride with this guy. The numbers say we shouldn't do that, but my eye test says we should. Right. And I think he's done a great job with the Giants in doing that. And I wish he did it when he was in Philadelphia because that's my hometown squad. I knew you would make a shout out to Philly, but I also love that you mentioned how he was able to find the balance. And I think he was also, he had a great staff a roster to work with that. You have the veterans of the Posey belt Crawford, but then you have all these new guys that Farhan Zaidi brought in. Um, so I, but I am glad that you mentioned that it does matter. That eye test is imperative because you are a stats guy, but you do have a feel. And I feel like you're making a lot of people happy saying that, um, the, an A's legend, of course, probably the goat. I'm not going to say probably the actual goat, the man of steel hall of famer, Ricky Henderson, A's legend. I will say that until I'm blue in the face. Before we get into some of these crazy numbers, you've had the opportunity to meet him. What was that like? I know you love gushing about him. <laughs> so uh, I'll try to make this as quick as possible. The quick uh, version of this story. Uh, Rock Reigns was kind enough to invite me to his Hall of Fame induction. Also love gushing about that. He thinks that some of the stats, some of the numbers that were brought out after the fact about his career are what helped h- get him into the Hall of Fame. And um so I, I met him through doing some of those numbers and he um, did a blurb on one of the books and he asked us at the dinner, it's sort of set up like a, a wedding style. Um, and sure enough, Ricky Henderson's at the same table as me. And I had to have like five or six beers before I had the courage to introduce myself to Ricky Henderson. I do. 
And in probably the most charming way possible, I mean, these aren't his exact words, but he basically said, all right, who, who are you and what are you doing here? <laughs> and uh, I told him, hey, you know, Ricky, I, I, at the time I was writing for the Sporting News and I explained to him how, you know, Tim Raines thinks that statistics helped get him his place in the Hall of Fame. And he credits um, guys like me with some of the coming up with some of those numbers that helped him out. And um, he looks at me dead in the face and he goes, what would you got a Ricky? And I'm shocked because first of all, I didn't believe he actually talked to himself or talked about himself in third person. Sure enough, here he is almost 60 years old talking about himself in third person. Mm -hmm. I'm ecstatic. So I pull out my phone and I try to pull up my best Ricky Henderson stat. At the time, Ricky had, uh, well, he still does, 81 leadoff home runs, the all-time record. Mm -hmm. And at the time, the Mariners only had 78 as a team. Of those 78, three belonged to Ricky. And I show him this on my phone. He does a double take. And I'm all excited because I think he's going to have the same reaction as Tim Raines. Right. There. This is a stat about my own career that I didn't even know. He gathers himself. He flips me his phone and goes, Ricky, know all Ricky stats. Well, I mean, that's beautiful. It's actually funny. He was recently at the Coliseum and I tweeted out Ricky Henderson is here. And I got one response saying that's probably exactly what Ricky Henderson said when he arrived. <laughs> Ricky <laughs> Henderson is here. Um, but the actual numbers, these are just, you know, the ones you get on baseball reference that are in ital- that are italicized and highlighted. 1,406 most stolen bases of all time. That's also going to produce the most caught stealings of all time. Uh, 2,295 total runs. But one that was was really interesting that you tweeted out not too long ago. Ricky Henderson stole bases both when Vlad Guerrero was four years old and when Vlad Guerrero Jr. was four years old. So the man of steel is more than just the steel itself. That guy was just resilient and rock solid and... I, what are your thoughts on a guy that could actually have as illustrious of a career just seasonally? Like you're over, you're there for multiple decades. Well, to be honest with you, my favorite Ricky Henderson stat, and I'm going to mess up the years. Actually, I'll make sure I don't mess up the years. So before I even say that, um, my favorite thing about Ricky Henderson is just that the man loves baseball. Mm -hmm. He played until he got basically kicked out of triple a because he was too old he loved baseball so much that he was going to keep playing no matter what and my favorite stat about him really talks about that durability that you are highlighting and that is he stole 56 of 78 bases in 1981 at 22 wow in 1998 at 39 he stole 66 of 79 bases far more efficient than he was at 22 but at 39 years old in 1998 mm-hmm. and for the A's, of course. Yes, of course. Just insane. And just like, I'm, I'm so glad I get to be a part of um, an organization that had that. So this is the last one I'm going to bring up, but it still blows my mind to this day. Um, I'm a big Chad Pinder fan. And um, you, I mean, he's not well known, but listen to this. You tweeted this out. Mind blowing. The A's have played 18,808 games in franchise history. And as you mentioned, this stretches beyond just Oakland. We're talking Philly and Kansas City. And they won against the Rangers recently on April 23rd with their lone run coming via a leadoff home run, thanks to Chad Pinder. When you researched that, you told me you looked at this multiple times. So this must have been mind blowing to you. 
Yeah, I was just like, there's been so many times that I've come across something and my my reaction is that of, you know, Tim Raines when he's learning something new about his career is that's just not true. Mm-hmm. There's no way that that is true. And I went through so many box scores on baseball reference on retro sheet. I'm thinking there's got to be something for like for which data is not being calculated right and I'm, I'm looking at this I get this result and sure enough that is the case we're talking 18,000 nearly 19,000 games and he's the first player in that team's history to ever do something mm-hmm. now it can't be attributed entirely to the fact that hey he carried this team to a victory but he did from the start yeah hit a go-ahead hit a game-winning home run as a leadoff man and nobody had ever done it in the team's entire history so to me that's pretty pretty cool another funky stat the ones that we love um we're gonna have you on next time and i really want to dig deep into this hall of fame voting and then joey Votto. um we're probably gonna need like seven episodes of that but for now thanks so much for joining me ryan i appreciate it jess i appreciate it a ton talk to you soon for ryan spader this is jessica kleinschmidt vince catronio next as a's total access rolls on and here is Jessica with one of her very good friends, Danny Wexelman from MLB Network, Sirius XM Radio. Thanks, Townie. A's total access rolls on ahead of today's A's game. Jessica Kleinschmidt here with Danny Wexelman of many things, MLB Network Radio, ESPN, Perfect Game, and SNY of all, all the things, essentially. Danny, my friend, how are you today? I am so stoked to be here, honored to be able to share a little baseball knowledge with you, which is how we became friends and connected. So for you to have me here, I hope I can provide some entertainment and some knowledge for you. Yeah, it's like a really cool moment for me, not just career wise, but we're we're the closest of friends too. So I'm stoked about that. Um, I did mention you're doing some stuff with SNY, which means I'm yes. super jelly of the fact that you get to watch Chris Bassett over on the East Coast now. Of course, he's very beloved by A's fans. We know he left during the offseason in a trade. How have Mets fans embraced him? I would assume it's both good. Well, we know his numbers. Let's talk yes. with the numbers, then also Chris Bassett, the person. Okay, so the numbers are really, really exciting right now. If you are a Mets fan and you saw the acquisition of Bassett, you maybe were unsure of what you're getting. And I'll say that because of the East Coast bias. Bassett's been shoving, but you didn't know it as much as you do now because he's in the spotlight in New York. So I'd say number one, his slider usage. We know that it's a pitch he's been working on. He's throwing it more this season. He has the most strikeouts on his slider this season. He's inducing more weak contact, not as many hard hit balls off of his pitches. And he's just a force to be reckoned with. You saw that on the West coast. And now everybody on the East coast gets to see that his numbers are really, really good. The four and two doesn't really tell you the whole story I would say, but every time he goes out, you know, he's going to run through a brick wall for you. I mean, he said it in the clubhouse. He doesn't care what the name is on the back of your jerseys coming after you. So speaking to the person Mets fans love that they love a guy who's going to stand up for them. Who's going to maybe puff their chest a little bit, say what they want. I know he's got a little bromance. I think with Max Scherzer going on, that's not confirmed by any sources Jess. but I would just say from watching him talk about his extension, why he'd want to stay in New York. Yeah, there's Max Scherzer involved with that. But as far as the numbers and the person, I think that Mets fans should be pretty happy with the performance that he's had so far. 
I, I'm looking forward to the page six rumor between Scherzer and Bassett. <laughs> That'll yeah. be happening anytime soon. And I'm glad you brought up some of his specialty pitches. I always joked with him. He had the 69 mile an hour rainbow curveball. Looks like it's adding a little bit more velocity right now. And I wanted to name my firstborn after it. There was yes. actually a time where Jose Altuve lost his helmet swinging at this pitch. And, and I love that he's been able to use some of these specialty, uh, specialty pitches, especially as he, you know, gets older and more experienced. And if you're going to open up anybody like a Max Scherzer out of his shell, I'm all for it. Definitely a media darling. So I'm stoked for you. Now, my dear, you are a Midwest, a St. Louis Cardinals girl. Now you had a pretty spoiled, you're just keep getting spoiled with all this stuff. Albert so Pujols returned yes. to, but not only, you know, to the franchise that started it all. What were your reactions during this off season when you saw Albert Pujols would be back? Okay. Here's what's awesome is that I was in Cardinal spring training camp the day that it all unfolded. And we had heard the night before shout out to Katie Wu, who started the break of friend of the show, Katie, friend Wu. of the show, yeah. friend of everybody that pools could be back in a Cardinals uniform for his last season. And I was in camp the next day, giddy. I was trying to control myself because you want to be professional, but we had a chance to talk to Ollie Marmel. We talked to John Mozeliak and basically heard that pools was going to be back. And I didn't know that he would literally be back that day. So while we're covering the game, all of a sudden, Everyone starts standing up and cheering. I look out. He's coming out of the right field gate. I'm at the game. I just so happen to be covering that spring training game. It's unbelievable. So I think for Cardinals fans to have him back and to have him finish his career in St. Louis, how spoiled, how lucky. And it just made sense. It makes sense for the lineup too. And I, I think to your point, it's nostalgic, but his numbers against left-handed pitchers are just really stupid this season. Let me read these off to you really quickly. Cause I think everyone needs to know him. against lefties 474 righties. Ooh. He's batting 74 at home against lefties. It's 545 at home against righties. He's batting 91. So just, just a little picture of what he can do, but you saw him in the dugout. You see what he does for that team. There's so much Jamie. So dynamic. He's not a guy I would hate platooning for. That's for damn sure. No. So I know Marmal's just looking like we'll put Pujols in. And I love that there's storylines there, right? It's nostalgic, but the numbers are also there. And yeah. what, what a nod to him to show like how much of an impact you make where you can sign a one-year deal with the place that fell in love with you and started it all. Now let's talk about the future Shohei Otani. That is Albert Pujols. What did you think <laughs> yeah. when he got on the mound? Like that, that was just like amazing content. I heard there was a little hate out there in the Twitterverse. I'm not Weird, a hater. Danny. Weird. I know. Hate on Twitter. I think that the score was right. The moment was right. Sunday night baseball. It's Albert's last season. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I love the fact that they put him in and let him do his thing and have that moment. It's not about the guys who hit the home runs off of him. Cause guess what? They wanted those balls signed. Yeah. They wanted those memories. Like that's for everybody that Ollie Marmel and that staff gave everyone in baseball an extra special treat. That wasn't for anything except for that moment. And I'm so glad that he capitalized on it. 
I, I love it too. And I love how he made it not about himself. And yeah. it was a dream. He's always wanted to pitch like, and I, and I was actually kind of shocked. It took this long for him to do it. I felt I would love like a rookie year for him to just do it, but oh I'm glad, goodness. I'm glad it finally happened. He can knock that off the old bucket It worked list. out perfectly. It couldn't, you done. couldn't plan it any better than that. I agree. So it worked out beautifully. Um, before I let you go, I listed all these things that you are doing and you have many platforms and you're killing them. I'm not just saying that as a, as a friend of yours, but I really want to know how do you balance it all and how can people possibly balance it all? I have a lot of calendars. Mm -hmm. I write everything down in every place possible. I have a really great support system, including you, Mm -hmm. people who show up for me, even when I don't ask for it because they know I need it. I love what I do. I love the nuances of it. And I fell in love with that part of the job. So then the actual work, the on-air work is just the icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. And I, I am really passionate about storytelling. I'm really competitive about what I do and the information that I get to share and who I get to share it with. So I think I I don't do the best job all the time. I'm so imperfect, but I have the best people around me to support me and lift me up and help me through it. Honestly, like I couldn't do without them. I think that's probably the key. You got to have good people around you and you have to really love what you do. You have to, you don't, you don't just have to like it, but you have to, you have to love it. So that's probably where I sit with that. But man, oh man, we're a work in progress, girl. You know, we're always a work in progress. We really are. And I love how you said it with the icing on the cake, all the behind the scenes stuff. If you love that stuff, and I'm not just talking about an Instagram story, we're talking about the grind, the makeup falling off of your face because you're sweating so much and yes and everything like that if you love that stuff like you yes. said everything else is icing on the cake danny knocked it out of the park my dear thank you so much for joining me today oh my gosh this was the best you are so fantastic at your job you're spreading your wings and i know that everybody listens to you and gets smarter and more knowledgeable and falls more in love with this game because of you my friend so thank you for having me on Oh my gosh. Before I cry. So for Danny Wexelman, this is Jessica Kleinschmidt. Vince Contronio has you next as A's total access continues. And those are some of the interviews that Jessica Kleinschmidt has been doing for A's cast and the A's radio network. Now back to A's cast powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.